So uh, I just really felt the Lord kind of put on my heart for these, you know, next couple of weeks, last week and then tonight and, or today and then uh, next week. We're going to be talking about God's promises. And it's interesting, I said this last uh, week, but if you weren't here last week, it's, it blew me away when I looked up how many of God's promises are in the Bible. All right? Ready to hear it again? 5,467 promises in the Bible. How many, how many do you know? Right? Right? Yeah? Prom- right? Exactly. Two, you know, God, I think he heals. I think those are some promises in there. I think he protects, right? I think those are some promises in there. And to be honest with you, even as Christians, we walk around and we don't realize the the promises of God. The promises of God. One of the promises that I wanted to remind you of in 1 John 2.25 says this, and this is the promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. Eternal life. Now, what does that mean? What does this idea of of eternal life mean to us? Well, let me tell you, because of sin entering into the world, death came. And death is what separates us from God. But God had a plan. In fact, not did he not not only have a plan, but he even makes a promise. And that if you believe in his son and what his son did for you, Jesus the Christ who died on a cross, who conquered death, who rose again, then the promise for you is eternal life. That's huge. Because you know what? That is so much bigger than our current circumstance. That is so much bigger than me not being able to to pay a bill this month. Or, uh, uh, you know, something going on at work that's kind of dragging me down. Or that there's discourse in my family, there's, there's fighting, and there's, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it is that is going on, when you think about it against eternity, it kind of looks a lot smaller. Now listen, I'm not trying to take those things away. What I'm trying to say is that when we get our minds focused on what they need to be focused on, which is the big picture, which is eternal life, then those other things start to look a lot smaller. And if anything, they start to look more manageable, right? We start to have a little bit more confidence that, you know what, I can get through this. Because God has promised me eternal life. That means when I die, when this body, when this flesh finally gives out, I know where I'm going. My hope is secure. I'm not going to be separated from God for eternity. I may feel in this life a little distant from him at times, but I can look at it in the perspective of eternity that God has promised to make a way back to him forever. Forever. Ever. I just saw the little reunion uh, interview that they did with those guys from the Sandlot, and it was awesome. I didn't recognize half of them, but that's one of my favorite lines uh, uh, from that movie. 5,467 promises in the Bible. And today I want to talk to you about fighting for that promise. Fighting for those 5,467 promises. Fighting. Because you want to know what? I'm going to tell you right now. The enemy, Satan himself, does not want you to believe in those promises. 
He does not want you to know about them. He doesn't want you to believe in them. He doesn't want you to step out of them. And he doesn't want you fighting for them because you want to know why? He knows if you start fighting for those promises, you'll win. You will win. And that's what I want to talk about today. Stop letting the enemy push you around. Stop letting the enemy get into your head. You know, Chuck uh, prayed this morning. And it's funny, we don't really talk much about my sermon. I, you know, it's something that I just kind of keep to myself for the most part. And I don't really talk to Chris or Chuck, but it's funny, they'll sometimes put these worship lists together or Chuck will pray something or, or uh, you know, one of the other members of our leadership will talk. And it is right in the line with what God, you know, I believe is, is speaking to us. Chuck talked about tribulation. And you know what? I even thought as I was growing up when I heard that word, I always thought of tribulation as, you know, uh, in a country where if you tell them that you're a Christian, that that's where they, you know, they take you away and they lock you up or, or something like that, that it's forbidden. But you know what I believe as I'm getting older? Sometimes it can be the tribulation of your mind. It could be the spiritual warfare. It could be, you know, the enemy getting into your head, discouraging you, telling you not to believe, you know, telling you that that's all, you know, fake and false and not real. That's what the enemy's ploy is. That's kind of a tribulation that we all go through. The enemy constantly trying to knock that faith right out of you. And that's what, that when, you know, when, when it, we're told to stand in those times of tribulation, when we're told to believe, when we're told to have faith, those are the times that I believe. When I became a Christian, I thought the moment I became a Christian, all my problems would go away. All of my problems. Anyone else believe that? Anyone else thinking, hey, the minute I become a Christian, oh my gosh, life is going to be great. To be honest with you, it, it really is at times has seemed so much more difficult, right? It has seemed so much more. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean those things weren't going to happen to me already. But I do feel like I've got a target on my back now. I do feel like I have this big thing that says, hey, Satan, over here, mess with me. I'm a Christian now. And I'll tell you. Throughout, I mean, I can tell you story after story after story, and I won't bore you with all of the stories that I really have felt that, that spiritual attack, that I knew it was beyond the physical. I knew that there was something more that was going on. I could feel that, that the enemy was trying to, like, tear me apart inside. He was trying to discourage me. He was trying to get me off of, my, of that path. And in, even in these last you know, six months, and especially in the last three months, I have felt the fight so intense. The spiritual warfare so intense in my life. It, and, and you know what, want to know what it's done? It has literally drawn me to my knees. The only thing I know now to do is just to pray. It's just to pray. I don't know what else to do. But I believe that's exactly what we need to do. I believe that we need to take the fight to the enemy, and that's what we're, we're going to talk about today. Jeremiah 29, 11. God said this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I want to explain the context that Jeremiah is speaking you know, on behalf of the Lord for. I've been reading in the book of Jeremiah do not read the book of Jeremiah if you, uh, you know, are looking for a light-hearted book, 
to read, okay? Jeremiah is depressing. Jeremiah, in fact, they call him the weeping prophet because that's all he's doing is he's like, oh, Lord, oh, my gosh, stop, God. Oh, Lord, you know, my people are sinning. They're, they're, fall, they're falling away. They're, you know, he's just lamenting over and over and over. Poor Jeremiah. And so I've been reading, and I'm like, Lord, why are you having me read this book? This is depressing. Because it's all about Jeremiah. All he's doing is rebuking the nation of Israel. He's just constantly telling them, you're sinning. You're sinning. You're falling away. I mean, and it was bad. It, this, we're not talking like, you know, the little, little lies and things like here. We're talking full-on, you know, Baal worship. And they were even bringing, um, you know, idols into uh, God's own temple. It was sick. I mean, it was sick. And, and God still, you know, was kind of holding back his wrath. But he was warning them. And he was sending Jeremiah. So we, we know what happens. Jeremiah warns them that the, the, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to, you know, take them off and as captives again. Remember, remember Egypt, they were already slaves. Well, they're going to become slaves again. Here we go. They didn't learn their lesson. And even in that, this is where this is amazing. And this is where all of a sudden these words of Jeremiah become even so much brighter. Because after all of that, after the big old spanking that Israel gets... God says this to his people. He says, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He was letting them know, listen, even though I may be angry, even though you have sinned and that you have, have strayed from me, I still have plans to bring you back to me. That is the heart of God. That is the heart of God. And for those of you who feel like maybe you've messed up or maybe you've strayed a little bit, listen, God will always provide a way back to him. He will always send people like Jeremiah the prophet and say, hey, you've strayed too far. Hey, come back. Warning, warning. He will always let us know. God will always provide a way back. That's how much God loves us. I've learned in my life that God wants to bless me but by being blessed doesn't mean sitting idle. There's an enemy who wants to rob us of those promises. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Listen, what we need to understand is there is a spiritual battle going on. There is a spiritual war going on. And let me tell you, if you are sitting idle, then I guarantee you, you are getting thrashed around. You are getting beat up. Because you are either in it or you're out. You are either in the fight or you're the one getting completely pummeled right now. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I don't know about you, and, and it's funny, Chuck said it again, when I start to feel that spiritual warfare going on, something in my physical body wants to fight, and actually I even start taking out that frustration on the people around me. When I need to stop and pause and go, wait a second, I'm really agitated right now. Why? Why am I so agitated? What is going on? And not take it out on the people who are around me who love me the most. 
but to take the fight to Satan himself and say, get out. Get out of my mind. Get out of my house. Get out of my neighborhood. Because, thank you, because I feel that agitation, and instead of beating up people in the physical, which is what we, we tend to normally do because I'm angry, because I feel the spiritual warfare going on, we need to take the fight to Satan himself, because that's where it's coming from. So let's look at the book of Joshua again. As God has freed his people from slavery, but now he's going to teach them how to fight for the land that he promised them. God promised the people of Israel their own land, their own land, flowing with milk and honey. That means, boy, this place is already loaded for you. This place already has everything you need. And I love the picture of when Joshua and Caleb go to scout out the land and literally they have to bring back these grapes because they're so big that they're holding them on these giant, you know, poles and they're like, look. It's huge. Man, this place is so flowing with milk and honey that we're going to be able to live forever in, you know, in this beautiful land. But they had to fight for it. I want to tell you guys right now that if the Lord is promising you something, I promise you, you're probably going to have to fight for it. Because the enemy is going to try to rob it from you. And the, the, it's going to start here. It's going to start with the war in your mind. Let's look at Joshua. Joshua, uh, starting in chapter 1, I call this first point the calling, and that's really where we were last week. Joshua was called. I'll read it really quickly. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all these people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I give you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Just as God is speaking to Joshua, you guys, I believe that God is speaking to you. I believe he's telling you, I have promises for you. I have promises for you. Don't give up. Don't stop. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to go across that Jordan and I want you to take it. God is encouraging us to be courageous. God was telling Joshua, listen, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why do you think he was telling Joshua that? Probably because fear was creeping in his mind. The great Joshua, the great general, the one who would go and fight for his people probably was wrestling with fear if God had to tell him three times, be strong and courageous. I tell you this morning, if you are battling with fear in your life, if you are constantly every morning that you wake up, there is a war that is happening in your mind, I want to encourage you, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. For God has promised he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. He has promised that wherever it is that you tread your feet, he will give to you. Amen? 
Listen, we also have to get out, get off the couch and get in the game. I'm talking spiritually because I love my couch. (laughs) Spiritually, though, you guys, we need to get off the couch. If you think, you know what? Pastor Matthew's got it for us, man. Look at that guy. He's on, he's on fire, man. Someone lit something underneath him, boy. He's just going. Let me tell you something. Uh-uh. I'm just one person. How much, you know, bigger of a fight could we fight if we all got together spiritually, linked arm in arms, prayed, prayed for each other, laid hands on each other, encouraged each other. I'm telling you guys that we need you. That's why God calls it the church. That's why he calls it the body. Because not one person can go. Listen, Joshua, he didn't tell Joshua to go by himself over the Jordan. He said, lead these people. You need to spiritually get off the couch. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I'm not, it's not like a, hey, would you guys like to be a part of this thing? I'm warning you because if you don't, then you will be open to the enemy's attacks. I'm just warning you. But when we're together, spiritually linking arm in arms, when we're fighting, when you know that you've got brothers and sisters who've got your back, let me tell you, then we can take the land. We can take the land. Listen, fear is a promise killer. Fear will rob you because you won't move. You won't move. The crossing. Let's look at the crossing. In chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. That was what represented the presence of God. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over the people, before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. The Ark was the symbol of God's presence. The ark represented that God was with them. And it's interesting that not only was God with them, but what did God do? He went before them. The priests were to take the ark, and God literally went before them. God didn't trail behind them. God went before them. And as a representation that God was already going before them, the priests carried the ark, and they stepped into the Jordan River. By the way, it says that at this time, the Jordan River was was swollen. It was literally at its peak. It was at its highest. There was no way, once again, that they were going to get the entire people of Israel across the Jordan. And what did God do? The moment that the priests entered the water, they had to step in. They had to get in the water. They had to get wet. But the moment that they stepped in the water and they got out there, God parted the Jordan for them again. Again, working his miracle once again, telling them, I am with you. If you trust me, if you step out into the water, I will perform wonders in front of you. They had to be obedient. They had to do exactly what God told them to do. 
Listen, this act of crossing the Jordan took faith on many levels. The physical crossing, which was impossible. The fact that the people had been wandering for 40 years and they didn't necessarily have formal training and they were going to go into battle. And lastly, they were about to face the biggest challenge of their life. The city of Jericho loomed in front of them. Loomed, probably overshadowed them. God is asking us to have faith. Faith, you guys. Faith. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you're looking for the tangible, I'm going to tell you, you're going to get discouraged. But if you put your faith in God and the things that you cannot see yet, but the things that are hoped for, then you will see God do miracles. Because I'm telling you, that's, that's part of the battle. Well, show me. Well, show me. How about you just be obedient? How about you just do what God told you to do? Can I tell you, I get in arguments with my daughter like that a lot. I tell her to do something. Well, why? Because I said so. Because I told you to do it. Because you, you might not understand in your little puny adolescent mind right now, but I know what's coming down the road. I know in the future why I'm teaching you, you know, to be respectful. Why I'm teaching you to, by the way, the clean, and uh, I guess I owe her big time now because I'm totally going to throw her under the bus right now. <laughs> My daughter does not clean her room and it drives me nuts. Clean your room, clean your room. And I have to tell her multiple, multiple times. I'm teaching her things. Yeah, what's the, be like, Dad, what's the big deal? My room's clean. You know, nobody sees it. By the way, she doesn't talk like this. I don't know why I'm, I don't know why I'm doing like some uh, John Travolta from uh, Welcome Back Cotter thing. I don't know. But I'm teaching her that, you know what, in the future, you're going to want nice things. That you want to keep things longer and you want, you know, people to respect you and you want to, you know what I mean? That there's, there's just things that I'm teaching that you just need to trust me. You might not be able to see with your own eyes right now, but I just need you to be obedient. Because I know better. Because I'm the adult. And sometimes that's what God's telling us to do. Listen, just trust me, God's telling you. Trust me. Have faith in what you can't see. I am God. Do you not for, did, did you forget so quickly? I am God. So if I'm telling you, if God says it right, hey, he's the one who created all of us. He's the one that set this whole system up. Right? Don't you think he knows better? He, by the way, God lives outside of time. He's already there. He's already been there. He's, you know, he's everywhere. So if God is telling you to do something, be obedient. Step out in faith and trust him. I want to jump to Joshua chapter 4 because I think it's interesting. And I think it's something that we need to learn. But let us never forget Joshua does something before they go and battle Jericho. And I want to read it to you. Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Take for yourself 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. 
Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder. Well, that must mean a pretty big stone, not a little puny skipping rock. According to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? You shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When we crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So why do we celebrate things? Like, why do we celebrate Independence Day? Why do we celebrate? You know what? We are trying to teach the next generation. We are trying to remind them. We are trying to remind them. You know what? We're, you know, I'm even thinking we're already starting to get away and we're already having generations coming up that have no idea when our, our entire world was at war. You know, World War II. We're getting kind of further from that and we have whole generations coming up that don't remember what it felt like that our livelihood was threatened. I mean, I don't remember it because obviously I wasn't born either, but my grandfathers fought in it, so I got to hear. I got to understand. I got to hear first accounts of what World War II was like. But we're starting to get up into these generations where they don't understand. And so there's something about, hey, you know what? We fought this good fight and we won. We won. You know, God was with us. We were victorious because we were doing what was right. But if we don't pass that down from generation to to generation, then they're not going to know what they're fighting for. And let me tell you something. It is your job as parents to remind your kids when your kids look at you and say, why? Why God? Why serve God? That you remind them what God has done in your life. You need to create memorials, you know, in the spiritual sense in your own home. That when your kids say, you know, mom, dad, you know, why is it that, you know, you... You know, have a, a cross up. I'm just picking, you know, something. Why do you have a cross up? You know, why? You know what that cross reminds me? It reminds me of when Jesus got a hold of my life and when I was a wreck and I was a mess and he completely turned my life around. And now I am set free. That is how we pass down from generation to generation. And I think it's interesting that just before they go and fight, God makes Joshua stop. He makes him pause. And he says, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. And I want to encourage you to not forget when God has worked miracles in your life. Mark them down somewhere. Because when you're in the middle of the fight, you're going to have that to look back on. The only reason that I can walk into a new fight, you know what I mean, a new battle, is remembering that God got me through the last one. I have these kind of memorial stones in my mind, uh, markers in my life when God showed up and I saw his wonders, when I saw miracles come out of some of the most devastating times in my life. I'm telling you right now, don't forget what God has done in your life. It's so easily, especially when the next battle comes, it's so easily to forget what he's done for you in the past, but also to teach the next generation what God has done for you. Amen? You guys can be loud in here. I'm a loud guy. You guys can shout at me. All right, let's get to the good stuff. And we're, I'm on the downhill. Number four, the stand. Here we go. Here's the fight. 
Joshua chapter 6, 1 through 5 and 20. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass that when you make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all of the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up every man straight before him. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened that when the people heard the sound of the trumpets and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. You guys, it's hard to picture this in our mind because we can't see Jericho. But Jericho was one of the largest cities in this land. Because it was the first city once you crossed the Jordan. So it had to be the most protected. It had to have the largest walls. It had to have the, the greatest warriors inside of it. And remember Israel. Not warriors. Right? They haven't been out there, you know, collecting, you know, their, their swords. And, and, you know, out there, you know, iron smithing and all that kind of stuff all these last 40 years. They were no match. But because God was with them, God gave them the city that he promised. He promised it to them. And let me tell you something. I don't care what it is that is in front of you. you may, something may be in front of you and you say, this looks impossible to get through. This looks impossible to get around. The walls are way too big. This is bigger than me. Guess what? Good. Because God is bigger than that city. God is bigger than your circumstance. And if the Lord has gone before you, then he will give it to you. Especially if he promised it to you. Especially if he promised it to you. Remember, God has promised you eternal life. So there's nothing you need to fear in this world. God has promised you eternal life. So there's nothing you need to fear. God is asking us to be bold as Christians. As Christians, you know, the, you know the picture, and I love it, by the way, because I was a children's pastor, so I, but you know that picture of, of Jesus with the, the little lamb around his shoulder? You know, you know that picture I'm talking about? You've seen it? You've been around long enough in church and stuff, you've seen the lamb, and it's so precious, isn't it? And it just, it makes Jesus look like he's just such a soft, nice guy, you know what I mean? Do you, do you, what people don't understand in that picture is that the reason why he's carrying the, the lamb around his neck, right? And Gary knows where I'm going with this. Is because the little lamby is probably straight away. And you want to know what, how a shepherd teaches a little lamby not to straight away? He breaks his legs. Yeah. He, he, he know, a shepherd knows how to do this correctly, but he, and, then, and then, so hold on, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen, you've all had your legs broken in here, so don't, spiritually. So then, but there's what happens. The shepherd takes the lamb and he, carries him like that until his leg heals up. But where's the lamb? 
He's with the shepherd. He's with him. He's hearing his voice constantly. He's, he's hearing his heartbeat. He's close. There's an intimacy that happens. That little lamby will never stray again. We, we need to get out of the picture that Jesus is just this softy and that he's just going to make your life so, so sweet. And then he just put roses up and stuff like that. Listen, God might do some harsh things in your life, but there's a purpose. He's thinking about your eternity. He's not worried about the pain that you may go through for a few days. He's thinking about the eternal pain that you could suffer if you are cast away from him. That's what he's looking at. And he's willing to break your legs for a couple days so that you will fall at his feet. So that you will trust in him in such a way that, Lord, I'm not going anywhere because I can't move. (laughs) Right? Right? So listen, next time you're feeling broken, fall at the feet of Jesus. Because like the picture of that little lamb, he's got you. He's got you. And then the next time that you may feel that tendency to stray, you're going to go, you know what? No, I remember. I remember. I'm not going back there. And I remember how much he loves me, how much he takes care of me. God is asking us to be bold, you guys. Ephesians 3.12 says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We need to be bold. I love, I know I quoted it last week, but I love that line in in Braveheart, when William Wallace, they ask him, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to pick a fight. I'm going to bring the fight to the enemy. I'm going to bring, you know, I'm not going to let it come to me. I'm going to go take it to the enemy. So how do we fight, you guys? How do we fight? Listen, you need to know God's word. You need to be in his word every single day. You need to know what his promises are because you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to use those words. The enemy is going to come in and you're going to be able to use the word of God against him. The other thing we need to do is pray. We need to be in prayer every single day. The Bible says pray without ceasing. That just means pray constantly. That means, you know, you don't just do your little, you know, your little prayers right before, you know, you go to bed. You know, constantly. I, I'm praying throughout the day. I pray when I get up, and it's not like the kind of get on my knees and fold my hands and bow my head, you know, that type of prayer. I mean, it's just constantly talking to God. It's constantly rebuking, you know, the enemy's attacks. It's constantly saying, get out of my head. The other thing, guys, is, was worship. The other thing we need to do, here's what worship does. When we worship God, we get the focus off us, and we put the focus back on him. Right? Amen? We get the focus off us, and we put the focus back on him. Chris, you can make your way up here. But Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Matthew 16.18, he was telling Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Listen, you guys are the church. You guys are the church. And God wants to build his church using you. And he's promised you that all the powers of hell will not defeat you. You're the church. And all the powers of hell will not defeat you. Will you guys pray with me? Thank you, Jesus.